This episode brought to you by Michael Crate and James Husband. Special love goes out to Lee Kemp, who manages our Facebook page. If you like what you're hearing here on the Sci-Fi Diner, feel free to leave us a tip at patreon.com backslash sci-fi, spelled the right way. And by Audible. Get a free audiobook when you sign up today. Audibletrial.com backslash sci-fi diner. Engage. Science fiction is an existential metaphor. It allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, where we serve up interviews, news, and our view on the world of science fiction. Come, grab a chair, and enjoy the conversations. I think we've got an unexpected guest. Rose, we're going, we don't need Rose. I've got a bad feeling about it. Quiet. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I'm Miles P. McLaughlin. And we are sans M tonight. And uh, why is that, Miles? M is uh, in- cruising someplace down yeah, in definitely the... cruising. Yep. I don't know where the Joko Cruise is going. I thought they left like off the West Coast somewhere. That's a good question. I'm not sure which where, where they are, but uh, she's on a cruise ship hanging out with uh, some of our, some fellow sci-fi... Uh, uh, geeks and fans, and uh, um, I'm sure she's having a great time. Oh, absolutely. I know that Lou, one of our listeners, is there. We always meet him at Farpoint. He wasn't at Farpoint this year, mm-hmm. um, but he is going to be at Shore Leave, and he's on the Joko cruise, so we were tweeting back and forth about that. I know that Jonathan Colton, obviously, it's his cruise. He's going to be there, but he often brings Paul and Storm, because mm-hmm. you remember them from the you know the George Martin song that he wrote. Great song. Well, fantastic song. Fantastic yep. song. We should put it at the end of the show. Yeah, we should. Um, so maybe that'll be in the actual show. I don't know that I'm going to put it in right now. Um, but he's going to be there. Patrick Rothfuss, who wrote Name of the Wind, which is a book that I'm well, I read, and now I'm reading Wise Man's Sphere, which I'm going to be sharing with you. But I'm doing it right now. But part of like what's going on in my sci-fi world, absolutely phenomenal. So she is there, probably enjoying it. Although our weather here is fantastic. In, Pen- <laughs> in, in Pennsylvania, it is like seventy degrees outside. It's insane. Like yeah. you could be kayaking miles. No, the water will probably be way too cold for that. <laughs> well, you know, whatever. You know, mm-hmm. we, it is what it is. But, mm-hmm. um, well, very good. Just a real quick note. As M mentioned at the beginning of the show, you can support the diner by visiting our Patreon page. So if you are a listener to the diner, um, we would appreciate anything that you're willing to kind of donate just to kind of help cover costs. We're going to bring you content whether you give or not. And we're just glad that you listen to the show. But if you really like what we're doing and you tune in every time we put out a show, we would love you have to maybe give a little bit of something. And we even have something in it for you if you visit our Patreon page. So it's Patreon um, backslash sci-fi, I think it is. Is that right? I don't, I don't have that right. But I think it's Patreon uh, backslash sci-fi. I own that domain for Patreon. I mean, whatever that means. But we'll share our appreciation with you. If you, we will definitely do that. We do got to get James Husband his gift because he's been an avid supporter of the diner, and we we love that. Well, since we are a diner, Mm -hmm. we are a course. um, We have a menu. So tell us a little bit, Miles. What's on our menu tonight? Well, in our appetizer, we'll get into a little bit what's going on in our sci-fi world. we got to talk about Star Trek Discovery because it uh, wrapped up its first season and um, the season finale did not disappoint. Uh, Scott had a chance to interview uh, author David Mack at uh, Four Point and we'll be sharing that interview. And uh, for our dessert, we have a Sci-Fi 5 at 5, Top 5 Space Battles in Sci-Fi Movies. Ooh, ooh. And uh, we're going to be talking as well about the fact that we are beginning our Sci-Fi Rewind series again. And so that is um, that is that is very cool. Um, and let's see what else. Oh, we're going to talk a little bit about Black Panther as well. Did you mention that? I, I did not mention that. Okay, um, yeah. And we're going to review Farpoint a little bit. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah. So, and we'll talk a little bit about Discovery, as you mentioned before. I moved your notes, by the way, down a little bit. Okay. So. I'm looking forward to dessert. What's your favorite battle? I shared this list with Miles. I'm not sure he agrees with me 100%, but we'll see. I'm processing it. I, I am leaning. No, I, 
I can't really think of uh, any off the top of my head. That well, we don't, we don't want to spoil. We don't want to spoil no, the dessert. I'm not going to mention anything, but, well, we'll talk about it when we get there. Yes. It, it is a little bit Star Wars-centric, and so maybe some people will not be happy with me for that. So, But they can write in. If they don't like it, hey, guys, you can write in with your own Sci-Fi 5 and 5 and totally disagree with me. I'm fine with that. So totally cool with that. Yeah. What, what would your, be your top five best uh, space battles yeah. in Sci-Fi? Absolutely. Movies? So uh, let's talk about – let's do a little bit of appetizer here. What, mm-hmm. uh, what's going on in our sci-fi world? Uh, do you want to start out? What's going on in your sci-fi world? Uh, okay, sure. Uh, so watch the uh, season finale of Star Trek Discovery, which we'll talk about more later. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow came back, and looks like they're kind of doing a more supernatural um, – they're going to be facing some supernatural uh, challenges in this season. Um, but not like the show Supernatural. N- n- nothing to do with Supernatural, the show, although they both are on CW. Oh, they are. Yeah, they're, they're fighting Damien Dark. Uh, he, he, no matter how many times you kill him, he always comes back. Always uh, comes back. But uh, I'm not watching the show, so John, I'm just echoing Miles. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, John Constantine from the, the short-lived NBC show Constantine, he's been on a, C- a few CW shows, and so he, that, that's been cool. Um, watching Supergirl, Flash, uh, just start watching The Punisher. And I, I should have started watching this sooner. I got sucked in the first episode. And The Punisher's not really sci-fi per se, but it's part of the Marvel Universe. Right. So, and he interacts, maybe. he interacts with, um, you know, some of the superheroes in the Marvel Universe. So we'll see, but it, it's still, like I said, the, I, I got sucked in the first episode. I've watched the second episode. So it's good. It's very good. It's very good. It's very so good. how do you feel about this one versus like Jessica Jones, Luke Cage? I was going to say the cape. It wasn't Daredevil. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I'm only in the first episodes, but I think it it, it it's definitely up there with 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 those shows. It's definitely it's what you expect. So the jury's out. The jury's out, but yeah. it's good. It's good. It's what you expect from Marvel Disney when they put together a Netflix show. Um, so far, I mean, so far it hasn't disappointed. Yeah. What else is going on in your sci-fi world? You have an extensive list here. Yeah, I am reading – since uh, there's not no Star Trek on the air at the moment, I am reading the the new Star Trek Discovery novel uh, by Dayton Ward uh, called uh, Drastic Measures. And I just finished reading – was rereading one of his his other novels, uh, Headlong Flight. And one of the great things about uh, a Dayton Ward uh, Star Trek novel is – some people you may come across at the cons, people who, who are either podcasters, bloggers, or whatever. Dane Ward likes to use your name and create a, you know, as a character in there. So it's, that, that's always fun when you read one of his books. All right. So who was it in this book? Uh, so far, meaning in, in Drastic Measures, there's a character by the name of Charlene Schmidt. I just know she's a Star Trek podcaster. Oh, so yeah. It's like, so I, I, I love he, – he's, he's still doing that. I don't know what – it's it's a literary device. I forget what it's called, but – Dayton were still making good use of it. And- they actually mentioned it during the panel, mm-hmm. but we'll talk about that a little bit later. But they mentioned that trope. Um, but we were uh, we were in one of Dayton Ward's books. We were, we were in two of Dayton Two, yeah. yeah. And uh, our fate remains a little bit unknown. Uh, we're still alive. We're still alive. So uh, we're, we're – I thought it was questionable, Miles. Well, you, you, well, your character – you know, got hurt in engineering, but uh, I got you to sick bay. We'll have to see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Well, if ever. Maybe it's yeah. just one of those uh, – Plot lines that never is resolved. We're engineers, not security, so our chances are are better than average. Oh, so we aren't red shirts. That's good. Right. Uh, so thank God there's a, there's a God in the universe. <laughs> there's and a his, silver line, and, yeah. and his name is Dayton Ward. Yes, he controls our, our character's fates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dayton Ward is God. You heard it here first in the sci-fi diner, at least of his characters. <laughs> but um, So in my sci-fi world, I, you know, I'm, I watch, as you know, anime. And so my daughter and I wanted to – I had a, daughter, a father-daughter date this past Saturday. I said, hey, let's go see Black Panther. She's like, oh, I don't want to see Black Panther. And I was like, oh, we should go see Black Panther. And um, because I was thinking, you know, it's my daughter is Haitian. Mm-hmm. And what an empowering movie. And we'll talk about it a little bit later here. But what an empowering movie for someone that's of African ancestry. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just absolutely incredible. And I thought, wow, you know, we could go see it. Um, so she didn't want to go see it. I went and saw it with her son, uh, the next day, mm-hmm. but we went and watched, we sat home and watched Letter to Momo, which is a fantastic anime film. A little bit slow, 
but the storyline just really put you know, it hits you in the feels. Okay. And it just doesn't it's just an incredible job. Black Panther has said, I saw, enjoyed it immensely. I'm not gonna spoil it. Everyone dies, Miles. Don't go see it. Um, and then um, Wise Man's Fear, I'm reading right now. This, of course, is the Patrick Rothfuss novel, the second one that I'm reading. And I'm reading that for the podcast, The Orbital Sword, The Orbital Sword, if I can speak here, which I do as well. And I began watching a little bit of Supernatural. Oh, my. Um, I'd watched the first couple episodes of season one, and I jumped into season four because somewhere in the back of my mind, I said, Christopher Heyerdahl is in one of these seasons. So I just started at the beginning of season four. I watched a couple episodes. It just isn't grabbing me. Yeah. I know Jen, Jen, who from New York, loves Supernatural. Mm-hmm. There's other listeners that are saying, how can you not like Supernatural? My daughter, little story here. So my daughter, I'm a school teacher. I'm sitting in the middle. I had in a service day today, and I'm sitting doing my work. And my daughter texts me and says, who'd you interview from Supernatural? I'm like, Christopher Heyerdahl. And I said, oh. And so I mentioned who it is. I sent like the link to, you know, his page and his role in Supernatural. One of our friends is apparently wigging out and so freaking out that we sat down and interviewed him. Oh, cool. I'm like, well, he's not the only one. I sent Amanda Tapping, Felicia Day. They were all in Supernatural. And I'm sure there were others that I'm forgetting. Um, but she was like, I think it was giving her, my daughter, some pretty big cred that we had interviewed <laughs> these people. That's always so, that's always a good thing. Yeah, a good thing for her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I saw, uh, and I didn't finish it, and I'm debating when I'm going to finish it, is a show that I believe is on Amazon Prime that you can watch free called Magellan. And basically, it's like a it's the current version of either an indie or sci-fi B film. Mm-hmm. Um, the premise of it is... You know, the people of Earth get a signal from outer space and discover that it's actually in system. Oh. And so because of it, the everyone's scrambling, the Chinese and the U.S. are scrambling to be the first people to reach this, these – send people out to these destinations. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. And I want to kind of finish it sort of. So it's not real engaging. Yeah. Yeah, Magellan. So if you can check it out on uh, on Amazon Prime for free, it doesn't cost you anything if you're a Prime member, and um, mm-hmm. maybe it'll be worth it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's what's going on in my sci-fi world. Cool. So let's talk about the sci-fi rewind. Before we do that, let's uh, play a promo here. And I'm going to be sticking a promo in here for um, the, uh, the Zogpod Studios. So um, Zogpod Studios, Miles, I haven't talked to you about it. And I haven't really advertised it yet, but I'm kind of working on an audio editing service. Um, and so this studio that we're in is technically Zogpod Studios. It's on the door when you walked in, if you read it. So, um, but it basically produces, you know, Sci-Fi Diner, The Old of Sword, the Dune Saga podcast, the She podcast. And so I'm interested in getting into some audio engineering. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we're going to use this as kind of a – I'm going to have a little bit of a bumper here that I'm going to play and uh, promote promote that business. Do you dream of starting a podcast like the one you're listening to now but don't know where to start? Or perhaps you're a podcaster looking to cut down on your editing time. Zogpod Studios offers a full range of podcasting solutions. For podcasters who are just starting their journey – to seasoned podcasters looking to create more content. With over 10 years of podcasting experience, our staff can help you develop intros and outros, edit your show, master it, and help connect you to your audience. Visit us at zogpod.com to find your podcasting solutions. But let's talk a little bit about the Sci-Fi Rewind. Can you explain to listeners who might be just joining us what the Sci-Fi Rewind is about? So what we have done in the past is we've looked at a um, a movie that, 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 that maybe is considerably older. When we, one of the oldest ones we, I think we did was um, – um, oh um, – the thing was the th- was the, the thing the oldest? No, there was another one we did. Two thousand one. Did we do two thousand one? No, the the one. Um, oh, I, 
Where, oh, the one with where they, um, they die. They, they die at uh, age. They, they have to die at yes, age thirty. Uh, Logan's Run. Logan's Run. Logan's Run. Because I think yeah. that was made in the late seventies. I think. That's, yeah, that's right. I think that's the oldest one we ever did. But so we, we've reviewed Logan's Run. We reviewed uh, the Fifth Element. Uh, we and we so did, we did. Charlie Jade was a part of that series, wasn't it? Yes. And so we did a Charlie the Charlie Jade series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Batchelder had kind of uh, said, hey, we should do this. And so he was on that for a while and then stepped back and we continued it. We did the Matrix trilogy. We did that. We we, we did a Firefly review. Oh, yeah. So some really fun stuff that we did kind of as a part of that. Yeah. So we're talking about bringing this back. And um, and we're going to start with like one a month, I think is kind of the target, because that seems doable. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to be doing what franchise are we going to be rewinding? this? Well, it's appropriate because we're not going to get uh, uh, Star Trek Discovery back probably till 2019. So, so to uh, fill in the gap, to fill in the gap, we are going to review uh, all the Star Trek movies, starting with uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture, everyone's favorite movie. Well, well maybe we can find uh, some redeeming qualities in it. Redeeming qualities, maybe seeing it, seeing it again now. Maybe, maybe we'll, maybe we'll. We'll get something we missed. Uh, so I think March 20th is our target date. And my understanding is that we are bringing on a doctor on the show to talk about this. Yes. Um, uh, hallowed be his name. Uh, Larry Nemechek will be joining yeah, us. Dr. Star Trek, as he's often called. Right. Larry Nemechek, mm-hmm. um, who has his hands all over Star Trek. He's a Star Trek historian. Uh, he, he, he met Gene Roddenberry once. Uh, he, he, you know, he, he, he's, he's, he's met and, Probably the cat, the cast know him pretty well. He's done lots of interviews with um, the the original cast, and Next Gen. Um, another, another thing he's known for is he, he wrote the uh, Star Trek companion for um, Next Generation. I, I own that. Right. So fantastic. We've had him on the show many times before. Yep. I met him two years ago. He, he was a guest at Shirley. He was. Was that last year? Or was it two years ago? I think it was, yeah, I think it was two years so ago. So two years ago. Mm-hmm. So um, fantastic, fantastic to have him, the opportunity to have him on. And so he'll be joining us, and it's very appropriate that he's going to be helping us rewind the motion picture. He, he'll be, you know, he, I'm sure he's going to have some stories uh, that uh, you and I have never heard before. Oh, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So uh, Fountain of Useless Information, you call yourself, well, Nemechek is going to be competing for that title. Maybe, but I'm going to love every minute hearing about it. Oh, absolutely. And so it's going to be perfect. So anyways, we're starting that back up. So if you get a chance between now and March 20th to maybe rewatch the motion picture, or maybe you've watched it and want to give us your thoughts and opinions, you can email them to the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com or post it onto our Facebook page because we would love to hear your thoughts about the motion picture, what you like, what you don't like, what bothers you to this day. And it was just, uh, it was the first movie to bring back the original crew of Star Trek after the years of being off the air. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was good. This is the first live action Trek after 10 years when the, when the, when the original series went off there. I mean, you, you could possibly count the animated series, which ran for about a season. But um, yeah, this is, this is the first Star Trek of any kind. And so the fans were hungry for Star Trek at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no doubt. Well, very cool. So that's it. So uh, again, you can message us and let us know what you think. So Sci-Fi Rewind, we are bringing it back. Back again. All right. Um, so Farpoint, we were we spent, we do got to talk about Farpoint. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we were there two weekends ago, right? Yes. And Farpoint, and <laughs> Farpoint was very interesting this year for us. Almost definitely. And, you know, so, so uh, do you want me to tell the story? Go ahead. Tell so, the story. I'll tell the story. So, mm-hmm. so. We knew ahead of time that Miles was, because of his job, was going to be unable to be there till Saturday night and Sunday. Yeah. M was supposed to be there Friday and Saturday, or at least Saturday, I think she was going to be there. And I was coming down with my son on Friday and then Saturday. Well, I get a message from M. This is like Wednesday last week. I'm not feeling real. We actually recorded Tuesday and she said, I'm not feeling 100%. And I have this cruise coming up. And by Thursday, she said, I'm just really under the weather. All right. So I said, okay, well, let's see what we can do here. So you heard of us talk about Dave Sellers, right? Dave Sellers, I, I met, I talked to David Sellers. He works at the school that I teach. At. I said, Dave, I said, any chance you want to come to Farpoint with us? He goes, man, I, I would love to, but I'm watching the kids Saturday. 
And he goes, he goes home, talks to his wife. And his wife goes, seriously, you're going to pass up a free ticket to a con? You know, you've always wanted to do this. We'll get babysitting. And so that's a very understanding. Yeah, wife. absolutely. Came in the next day, said, I'm there Saturday. So he was my uh, right hand man throughout the entire Saturday as we were doing interviews and so on. Mm -hmm. And it was quite a phenomenal experience. And you got a chance to meet Dave. I did. Yes. Sir. Yeah. So um, I managed to managed to get there a little earlier because uh, work dismissed sooner. But yeah, m sadly I missed most. Of, sadly I missed most of the Saturday events. Um, but I'm happy that uh, you know Dave got to experience that. Oh, absolutely. So. Anyways, so that's it. That's so that's how we cross paths, right? And then Miles represented Sunday. Um, so what were some of your highlights of the con? And then I'll share mine. Um, I got, I got to moderate, uh, a, a couple panels. When I say I moderated, I, there was like four of us. Right. So there's four, four moderators. Um, but I got to moderate a Star Trek Discovery panel, which I really wanted to do. I wanted to talk about. I want to talk about discovery. I want to see what people thought about it, and just just see where people were at with the show. Um, I got to moderate a panel uh, for for Star Wars: um, The Last Jedi. I got to moderate it with uh, Timothy Zahn. That is phenomenal. So, we should have recorded that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I should have. I should have recorded that. But still, I mean, it was it was just. I mean. He might as well be Doctor Star Wars. I mean, as far he as, as as far as um, Star Wars goes, I mean, without, I mean, he gave us while Star Wars was dormant as far as live action goes, uh, he was putting out novels and uh, keep keeping the franchise alive. Uh, so, so we had a great conversation about uh, Star Wars: uh, Last Jedi. Um, love seeing the people at that you know that we'll get to see maybe twice a year. So that that's always a highlight. Um, people saw some great costumes. Um, what was your favorite cosplay that you saw? You know, I think just Admiral Thrawn. I think I liked Admiral Thrawn. Just the that that that, that, that you know, Thrawn is enjoying some popularity, being that um, he he's on um, Star Wars Rebels, and you know, Timothy Zahn's putting out some new, new books on Thrawn. Uh, so I mean. I mean, there there are all some really good costumes. Um, uh, I mean, the classics. You'll you'll see Darth Vader, some stormtroopers walking around. Absolutely. You'll see some people dressed up in very authentic Star Trek costumes. They look like they walked off the set of one of the shows. Uh, met a cosplayer. Uh, she looked like she walked off the set of original series. Um, we hope to have her on in a little bit. Yeah, hopefully, working on that. Yeah, well, yeah, we we, we her. Yeah, she, she actually appeared on a on a Think Geek uh, commercial a while back. Oh yeah, and um, but yeah, I think I mean the panels. Uh, I got to interview Matt Frewer. Um, I got the chance. How was Matt Frewer? He, he was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Um, Did you mention the Star Trek episode he was in? There's so, he's done so much. <laughs> I, I wasn't know. I wasn't sure what to mention. <laughs> so I tried. Seriously. I tried to. You know, we talked about Max Headroom a little bit. We, then we talked about some of his, his more current stuff. Um, talked about uh, Eureka. I think I, you know, I mean, he he had a reoccurring character in Eureka, and he was just he was wonderful in that. Um, I, I got to meet Nana Visitor Sunday morning. Uh, got a nice picture with her. I just got a chance to tell her how much I, you know, how much I loved Star Trek: D Space Nine. That was my, you know, I, I think it's still my favorite in the series, and just what what her contributions were to the show, and just watching her her character. Um, you know the highs and lows with her character. If anybody's familiar with Kieran Reese, I mean, um, you know, just seeing how she dealt with um, the Cardassians—they were the ones that invaded her planet, occupied her planet—and her seeing that not all Cardassians are evil. And it, it, so, uh, her, her, I went to her panel. Also, um, she she got to t you know tell some great stories. She even said a Holocaust survivor went up to her and just thanked her for what uh, for what she did on that show. Also, so Farpoint was wonderful. I wish it could have been there the whole weekend, but the time I was there was was uh, was great. Um, and I'm looking forward to uh, shore leave. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm really glad you got a chance to meet Nana Visitor. Mm -hmm. 
So for us, for Dave and I, when we were there, so Friday night, we were there for a little bit, hung out. We met some people. I interviewed uh, an author, Kathleen Headley. I'm, I'm probably pronouncing the, the, the name wrong, but she writes more Arthurian legend type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was trying out a new recorder that I had at the con. And then um, the next day, we interviewed tons of people. Interviewed David Mack. We're bringing you that interview tonight. Um, interviewed, um, oh, J- Justin Timpain from uh, Trek Off, mm-hmm. um, which is a movie that we are apparently on. Dave Sellers, by the way, said, I watched Trek Off. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you guys in it. So I haven't even watched it yet. I, 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 uh, but it's streaming now on, on Prime. Yeah, it's, it's free. Yeah, you can watch it free on Prime. So so I, I'm going to have to do it. Mm-hmm. I am going to have to watch it eventually. So we are in that movie for those of you watching and listening. So we interviewed him and then. Then we did our live show, which you, of course, heard with Laura McClellan from Killjoys, fantastic lady, and great person to interview live. We interviewed Timothy Zahn. That was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Dave Sellers was losing his crap because he's like, <laughs> Thrawn is like one of his favorite characters ever. And then we had a chance to sit down with um, so I inter- the Farragut guys I interviewed. Uh, because they're wrapping up their stuff. So I wanted to make sure they, 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 you know, we were talking, they were our very first interview ever on the sci-fi diner. Yes, they were. Uh, and at uh, far point, they were premiering their, their, uh, I guess their last episode they're, they're doing. Uh, I would love to have stayed and seen it, but I had been up since four thirty, and yeah. I, I, I didn't have anything left. <laughs> Miles was dragging. I was. Yeah so, yeah. so we didn't see it, but there'll be, it'll be online and we'll see it when the final cuts out. Hopefully by surely. Yeah, I mean, when when shore leave happens, I'm, I'm sh- maybe they'll be around. Um, if they do, I'll. Uh, so sometimes they give out, uh, you know, DVDs and Blu-rays for a small donation. I'll try to acquire. A copy. Right. Absolutely, absolutely. And then we did interview Nanat Visitor, mm-hmm. and uh, I think Dave was quite in his glory there, and uh, had a chance to ask her a question. But it was what a regal lady, absolutely stunning. Yes. So, oh, yeah. I mean, she's probably she's got to be pushing sixty now, and uh, she looks fantastic. She looks great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Still acting. She's still a busy actress. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Since since D Space Nine, I mean, she had. There's been no shortage of work for her. I mean, she's been making appearances yeah. in a lot of famous uh, sci-fi shows. Yeah. So I think that that's really our review, right? That's kind of a that's a good summary of of Farpoint. Anything else we should mention? No, I think a couple, uh, just thank the folks at Farpoint. For everything, Betsy, thank you for your help with the interviews. Absolutely. And absolutely. so look forward to seeing you guys and again. And many other people that we are failing to mention right now that made Farpoint what it was. New venue, by the way, this year for us, mm-hmm. although an old venue for Farpoint. Right. I mean, uh, they, they were at the Crown Victoria down towards Towson, I think. And then um, now, now they're more in Hunt Valley at the uh, uh, Marriott Delta. And I think they had started at Hunt Valley. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what's going to happen. Hunt Valley was just sold again. I, I yeah the 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 question of who owns it now uh, it has some people concerned. But Shoreleave is the next convention, and that's going to be happening there. That's happening there in July. July. So they said it's still happening. I understand. They understand some of the anxiety this is all created. But so I, I, don't, I don't. I that shouldn't change as far as the convention. As far as we know. Mm-hmm. As far as we know. Interesting though that. That I only ever knew it at the Crown Victoria because I didn't come to Farpoint till it was at that other venue. Mm-hmm. But apparently they started out at Hunt Valley. Yeah, I, the first time I went to Farpoint was in '06, and, and and it was held there. And so, so yeah, they met there for many years. Before. Oh, very good. Yep, very good. Well, let's uh, talk a little bit about Black Panther, and we aren't going to talk details because you haven't seen it. But Black Panther, of course, did fantastically this weekend. Have you followed any of the news? Um, I have not seen how it did the box office, but I, I, I assume, well, I didn't hear anything negative, so I'm assuming it, it's still like any Marvel movie. It, it, it should be doing pretty good. So let's just take a guess. Since you haven't read anything, I have the figure in front of me. Oh, did you look at the figure? I, I didn't look at the figure. Okay. Don't look at the figure. Then. Okay. Um, uh, so, so Marvel movie, mm-hmm. present day weekend, it is, um, it's, what? How do you think it did? Like, what do you think? What? Give me an estimate of the numbers of what you think it brought in. Well, I'm assuming at the very at the, one of these movies averages between 150 million, give or take. 
Um, I'm guessing that it not only made that this weekend, but probably exceeded it. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it, it, it's 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 already paid. It's already paid for itself, and and, and then some. All right. So the number, the magic number, is four hundred and twenty-six million. That's a good weekend. <laughs> Fantastic opening weekend. Good for them. And and it it made box office history. Deadpool, Deadpool, I think, had the record mm-hmm. on a Thursday night. It beat that, doubled it. Um, and fantastic. In fact, so when my son went to see it Sunday night, I went to one theater. It is sold out on a Sunday night, mm-hmm. and I went to another theater. It wasn't sold out, but it wasn't it wasn't a nice of a theater. But I was going to see the movie. I didn't care what the seats looked like. You know, right. one of those things. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's a it's an all black cast. And one of the reasons I wanted my daughter's daughter to find it, my daughter, I only have one daughter, I wanted her to see it because it it celebrated the African heritage. Mm-hmm. And what a fantastic movie! Black director, uh, African American was well, African cast, I think, predominantly. Mm-hmm. In fact, the only one, two of the only white characters in it, dominant ones, are Andy Serkis, <laughs> who you know, played Gollum and Snoke, right? Right. But he also plays one of the baddies. Oh. Um, and and then uh, Martin is it Freeman, the guy that played the sidekick for Benedict Cumberbatch in Sherlock. Oh, we we played um, Bilbo in uh, exactly. Yeah. So I said we have Bilbo and Gollum all in the same movie <laughs> in Black Lord, Panther, Lord, Lord of the Rings connection. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, but I uh, I was telling my son this, and he's like, "Really? That's awesome!" Uh, but Black Panther, fantastic movie. Um, I don't know that I would say it's necessarily the best Marvel movie, but it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I just love the the blend of, you know, African culture into modern society. And it was very well done. Very well done. Miles, you are going to love it. You will love it. Yeah. If I can, I'm going to try to catch it this weekend. Uh, it's definitely on my list. To see. But I think what makes this movie so special is that it's, it's all, it's like an almost all black cast. Yeah. And now, is it- and this is this is like people shied away from it. So we had Wonder Woman, which you know exonerated the first female superhero, and that did fantastic. Mm-hmm. And now we have this, mm-hmm. and I think it gives hope for us to do things other than just the predominant white male superhero that we've been seeing for years. Right. I think as long as it's good, I mean, I mean, at least in 2018, I, I hope you know it. It shouldn't matter if I mean. If if the woman is the headliner, or or if it's a Afri- a man of African heritage and ancestry, it shouldn't. It um, shouldn't. And it was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't. Even, that was not on my radar. Right. I'm sure it wasn't some. I I heard rumors of like the Klan protesting it and doing stupid stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it didn't impact the movie. <laughs> so not not no. I mean, 426 million. I mean, uh, a lot of the people didn't care either. I mean, it was just, just we, we want to see we want to see a good movie and we want to see a good superhero movie. Oh yeah. So it was a fantastic movie. It was well worth seeing in the theaters, Miles. You definitely got to go see it. Okay. Is this the origin story, would you say? Or did let me ask you this. Did it take place before the events or after the events of uh, Captain America Civil War? After. After. So after. So that has happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, it builds on the events. It references events in Civil War. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a tie-in at the end. Like, stay past the credits because Marvel does their two different teasers at the end that they've done in different shows before. That's typical Marvel. Yeah, and it, uh, it, it, it was fantastic. It really was. And it did tie in. And it ties into the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. So it'll be fun. It'll be fun to see where they bring it all. So very enjoyable movie. Loved it. Can't, can't sing praises enough for it. So anyone listening, if you haven't seen Black Panther, if you think you've been on the fence, go see it. It's well worth it. Well worth spending the bucks. But yeah, I can't. Wait. I, I can't wait to see it myself. Yeah. So it really is cool. And best part, I think my daughter would have loved it because you know my daughter absolutely loves like anime and Asians and mm-hmm. Koreans, especially. My daughter loves for some reason South Koreans. It is a part of it that takes place in South Korea. Yeah, you got you got to drag her back there. I know. I do got to drag her to, to Korea. She would go to, but to the movie, I do got to drag her back to the movie. Yeah. So. We'll see if that happens. But we're well, very good. Well, before we get into a little bit of discovery news, 
I want to play just a little bit of another uh, a bumper for a show that our good friend Wayne Henderson's doing on the uh, Electric Dream. So it's a Philip K. Dick TV series that's out, and we're going to drop. We're just going to share a little bit of a promo for that. We should have Wayne on the show sometime, shouldn't we? That would be fun. That would be fun. But anyways, here's a promo for the show. Journey into the endless realities of your mind with the Electric Dreams podcast. From the genius of Philip K. Dick comes a series of short stories adapted for the small screen by a creative team including Ronald D. Moore and Brian Cranston. And each episode of the anthology series will be dedicated to one of Philip K. Dick's stories. This series will expand the realm of possibility beyond the realm of reality and make one take a deeper look into their own existence. Join Wayne and Steve on Electric Dreams Podcast. On Golden Spiral Media. And we're back. Let's talk Star Trek Discovery, or as we call it, this week in Star Trek. Right. So uh, it's not this week, but this past week in Star Trek, what... We had a little bit of a finale, didn't we? Yeah, so this is the uh, season finale uh, for this first season, and I I love what they did this season. Um, there was questions raised, or, you know, I've heard this from other fans just saying, it, it's a good show, it's even good sci-fi, I'm not sure if it's good Star Trek. Well, that was one of the big questions being debated on the Discovery panel. Right. The, and uh, we're, you will have heard that by now because I will put this out before this episode comes. But mm-hmm. but uh, this episode, I thought, did a pretty good job of being true to what it, what it is, you know, being that it is Star Trek. I mean, uh, maybe not – they didn't do the whole exploration bit, but it was just as far as – who these people were, what their their ideals, what they believe in. I mean, there 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 are things they they could have done that maybe some of us might have understood as far as dealing with dealing with the Klingons. I mean, they could have t- did a much more. They could have taken out the Klingon home planet if they wanted to. Um, our hero Burnham was able to work out something. Um, very start a very Star Trek solution, I, I should say, at the end. There, there are some that said that this, this show is a little, little too dark. I thought this was more optimistic at the end. Um, I mean, we saw Burnham on a very uh, kind of a, almost a tragic journey. I mean, she she tries to do the right thing, but she gets busted for mutiny. She gets sent to jail through through his happenstance. Lorca gets her and makes use of her to try to, you know, to deal with the war with the Klingons and everything. But we get to see, make good things happen for her at the end. They, as far as leaving things on a, on a major cliffhanger, we get to see uh, the old girl herself, um, uh, the USS Enterprise, make an appearance at the end. Yeah, so spoiler alert, if you didn't watch Discovery yet, we're spoiling it here just a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a, we bring in the Star Trek Enterprise. Do we, yep. know, do we know who's flying it? Uh, we don't, we don't. We don't hear anybody. Well, we we sort of hear a little bit, but it's not. It's it's a little distorted. But you, you see on the screen, as far as the, the the there's a screen where it's an encrypted communication. But then you see the numbers one seven zero one pop up, and then uh, you, you you see the ship, and then that's where they end it. <laughs> so if, if that doesn't leave you wanting more i don't know what yeah, that, it does leave you wanting to see season two right yeah and season two what 2019 we're looking probably at probably yes wow yeah so who's in charge of the ship now well that's the ship was going to vulcan to pick up its new captain they haven't revealed who the new captain is, is it going to be spock well it can't be spock because spock 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 is serving on the enterprise as a science officer true but this is 10 years prior right it is. It, it just wouldn't make sense if. Okay. Uh, I mean, I mean, Spock would be, go back to the Enterprise as its first officer when he's Captain Discovery. Oh yeah, that that wouldn't make sense. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, there, there's 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 theories out there who who it could be, um, but that that that's you know a- after Discovery uh, completes its mission, it it it's it, it's taken Ambassador Sarek and they're going to Vulcan, and they just say they're going to pick. Pick up the new captain. I mean, Saru has been the acting captain since they left. Since the thing with Lorca happened on the Mirror Universe, 
no, they're, they're so I think whoever the new captain is going to be, I'm sure it's going to be it's going to be kind of big. But it's not going to be Michael Burnham. It, it it's not going to be Michael. It's definitely not going as of now. It's not going to be Michael Burnham. I mean, they said they're going to Vulcan to pick up the new captain. They're picking somebody up. The you know they, they didn't drop any names. It's 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 so we got to wait a while before <laughs> they they left us wanting more. Who's going to be the new captain of the Discovery? You know what's going on with the Enterprise? I mean, it, it, you, I mean, you see the Enterprise, and then when they when they close the show, they play the classics. TOS uh, theme theme at the end. Wow! So they they really fantastic. They really grounded. That's awesome. They really ground the show into you know start. <laughs> I mean the original series. It, it takes place ten ten years before the original series. Two years after the episode The Cage with Captain Pike. Yeah, it was very satisfying. I have to watch the episode one more time before you know I decide to give my CBS uh, access uh, break for a break for a while. Yeah. So save a few bucks, but yeah. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Fantastic way to end the show. No resolution with the spore drive yet. They still have it. I mean, because that's not a technology that exists in the Star Trek universe, you know, after this series. No, it's not. And I, I, I don't know how they'll resolve that as I, I thought they were going to kind of resolve that with the whole mirror universe thing, just saying, okay, this thing is a little too dangerous. And I thought maybe what they would have did with, um, Paul Stamets' character, uh, the guy who one of the, the guys who kind of invented it, and is kind of like the uh, the organic computer when they plug it in. I thought maybe they, maybe he would have suffered something where they would have had to say, "Okay, we can't we can't do, connect this to living beings either," because it. it um, but they haven't resolved it yet, so I don't know what they'll do with the spore drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one last thing before we move on from discovery. Discovery was given an R rating, right, at the beginning of this season. Was it R or M-A? Or mature? Oh, M-A, M-A reading. Do you feel like after watching it that it deserved that labeling? Or was it there only because of the violence and the blood? It was more, well, it was more for the, you know, the violence, the violence and the blood. There were some scenes that were kind of horrific so it was almost sometimes it almost played like, like a horror movie at times i mean you just saw just some disturbing things a few t- a few times not many but a few times and there's a few you know you don't need prof- there's some profanity sometimes uh used that you would never hear if this was on network television right so all those sorts of things maybe gave it that mature rate. yeah and there's a br- very brief sex scene between laurel and uh uh, Tyler, it, I mean, it's it's like two, two, three seconds long, but but enough that this would maybe make it a that that yeah. might be enough to drive it to an MA. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, thank you for sharing your review of the finale of Discovery. So, if you haven't seen it, make sure you see it first of all, and we would love to hear your thoughts, listeners, on what you're thinking of the finale of Discovery. So, we would love to hear your thoughts. You can again email us in at sci-fi diner podcast at gmail dot com. You can tweet us, or you can put it on our Facebook page. We will see as well. Well, very cool. Well, before we wrap up the show, we have an interview we're going to bring with David Mack. Now, we're going to be talking with him about his uh, dark art series, but we also are going to be – we talked to him about his Star Trek Discovery, which you've read. Yeah, he he, he wrote a novel. Like the first one in the Discovery series. Yeah, it's, kind of basically, it's basically a prequel novel before the series starts, and I, I, th- I think he was on staff – on the writing staff for for the show also so uh he does talk about that in the interview <laughs> but uh he he has read written dozens of star trek novels that i've enjoyed he has a writing credit for you know episode d space nine so and a new york times best-selling author yeah so i i i've enjoyed his books for many years yeah absolutely mm-hmm. well very cool so we're going to bring you this interview this was a f- far point interview and we had a great time just sitting down chatting with him at his table for about 10, 15 minutes about Star Trek, his work, the Discovery series, and his novel, The Dark Arts. And uh, so if you get a chance, pick up one of his books. You would endorse him. You'd say he's a good writer. I Yes, he's a fantastic author. Uh, I've always enjoyed his books. Yeah. Well, here's the interview. I hope you enjoy.
right, Scott Herzog here, sitting down sort of with David Mack here at Farpoint Con. You'll know him as an author of Star Trek, but he's written many other things as well. Welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's kind of welcome back, I guess. We had you on quite a few years ago. Really? I don't remember. Well, you might have been slightly inebriated. That sounds like me. <laughs> Very good. But anyways, so you're here at Farpoint, and right now you're promoting one of the books that you wrote personally. Tell us a little bit about that book and the premise of it. Uh, what I'm uh, promoting primarily this weekend is The Midnight Front, book one of my new dark art series from Tor. The Midnight Front is a World War II war epic with black magic. I've described it alternately as Harry Potter meets Band of Brothers, or Lev Grossman's The Magicians meets The Inglorious Bastards. Uh, the basic premise is that during the war, the Nazis had a group of black magicians, sorcerers, working for them. So Churchill decides that the Allies need to get some sorcerers of their own, so they create the Midnight Front, the Allies' top-secret black magic warfare unit. Into this is recruited a young American named Cade Martin, who's been studying at Oxford, at the outbreak of the war, as he and his family are trying to evacuate England, the ship is torpedoed, his parents are killed. Cade survives only by the intervention of the Midnight Front, who save his life. He finds out later the reason the ship was sunk is that the Nazis were trying to kill him. And he doesn't know why, but he does know that his only shot at avenging his parents and getting justice for them is for him to join the Midnight Front and take up the study of black magic. And this is the story that takes us through six years of the war in Europe, starting from around August 1939 and going through September 1945. And it's a big, sprawling war epic uh, with a system of magic based on the old Renaissance grimoires that state that all magic is predicated upon the conjuring and control of demons. So if you get it wrong, you die. And then I added to this historical uh, version of magic a cinematic fictional component called yoking, in which a magician calls up a demon magically binds it in service to his or her flesh, and for as long as the magician is strong enough in body and mind to hold the demon in thrall, the magician can wield the demon's powers as if they were his or her own. So if you call up a fire demon and you can hold it, now you can throw fireballs, you can squelch fire, do all sorts of interesting things. And the more demons you hold, the more power you get. The downside is holding demons is a miserable miserable experience causes things like insomnia nightmares nosebleeds headaches nausea causes self-cutting behaviors hair pulling all sorts of self-destructive stuff so as a result battle mages who have all these uh, spirits running around in their heads driving them up a wall quiet those voices through heavy drinking opiates chain smoking overeating whatever it takes to make the demons shut up and so they can wage their war. The problem is, even after they let the demons go, the bad habits remain. So most magicians who practice battle magic for too long wind up as junkies, addicts, alcoholics, uh, or with other severe problems that just don't go away. In my understanding, this is the first book. Do you have other books planned in the series? Uh, it was purchased as a three-book series by Tor. The second book is already written. That book is The Iron Codex. It's set in early 1954, and it's going to be a Cold War spy thriller. The third book, which I'm working on right now, is The Shadow Commission. That's going to be a paranoid conspiracy piece that takes place over a few days, maybe a week, right after the assassination of John F. Kennedy in 1963. The idea for the series is that with each book, uh, we jump to a different geopolitical era of 20th century history, and each book is a different style of book. So book one is a sprawling six-year war epic. Book two is a classic James Bond-style espionage thriller with you know, the expected high-stakes conclusion. Book three is set up as a paranoid conspiracy piece where our main characters find, just like Robert Redford in Three Days of the Condor, that suddenly everyone they know is trying to kill them. And the hope is that if the series is popular enough, sells well enough, and continues beyond book three, book four, for instance, could be a 1970s-era crime thriller set in New York. Book four, excuse me, book five could be set in the 1980s, could be a corporate heist piece. Book six in the late 80s or early 90s could be set in the remains of Afghanistan after the end of the Soviet invasion and could track a, uh, a renegade Islamic black magician. 
Wow. So there's a lot of room to go with this series. A lot. And since one of the ideas of Black Magic is when you first make your deal with hell, you buy 700 years of life in exchange for your soul, you age very slowly. So I've got the same core cast of characters who persist through these different decades and eras of history while aging very slowly, kind of like the Highlander. I was just going to reference that. Yeah, and part of the reason that's advantageous to me, I hope, is that uh, I hope it will make it more attractive to television and film producers who want to buy it as, let's say, an epic HBO or Amazon Prime or Netflix series, because then you don't have to recast or do aging makeup season to season. You change the the setting, you change the, the sets and the overall look and feel, but your cast remains the same. You see, producers, I'm thinking about you. I'm trying to help you help me. So now I need you to help me help you. Help me help you. If you followed that, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, in the middle, yeah, that's right, exactly. Um, now, in the middle of all this, you're also writing stuff in the Star Trek franchise. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Well, actually, I wrote this uh, book before i'm trying to remember the order in which i wrote all these books i think i wrote the midnight front then i wrote a bunch of star trek stuff um and now i'm done with star trek for the moment i'm not currently under contract with star trek uh, so i have no idea if or when i will work for star trek again last year however i had three star trek novels published in march of 2017 i had section 31 control in September of 2017, two days after the premiere of Star Trek Discovery, I uh, had published the first Star Trek Discovery original novel, Desperate Hours. And two months after that, I had a Star Trek Titan novel, Fortune of War, come out. Um, and of course, of those, the one that made the biggest splash in 2017 was my Star Trek Discovery book, Desperate Hours, which uh, was written in close coordination with the writer's room, uh, and producers and creators of Star Trek Discovery. And it makes sense. The show's out. It's new. There's a lot of discussion about it. It makes sense that this would be kind of the hype that people are writing. Although I do wonder if Section 31 isn't tied into the new Discovery. Uh, well, I mean, I don't want to comment on that. I don't want to, I, I don't want to give any spoilers. Also because even though I've read all the scripts for season one of Discovery and I know sort of what's going on and I know what was planned, Changes, I found out, happen in the editing room that I'm not aware of. So even though I sometimes think I know what's coming on Star Trek Discovery, when I finally see the episodes, I realize, wow, I really didn't know what was coming because they changed their mind in post-production. They reshot things that I didn't know they reshot. They re-edited things I didn't know they re-edited. They cut things out that I didn't know were going to get cut. So even when I think I know what's coming, even I don't know what's coming. Very true, very true. The book that you put out served as like a prequel to the series, is that correct? That is correct. Desperate Hours is set one year before the events of the pilot of Star Trek Discovery, and it follows what happens right after Michael Burnham is promoted to first officer of the Shenzhou, and sort of her first major command uh, moment in that role and it involves a crossover story with the USS Enterprise under the command of Captain Pike, and it puts Michael Burnham into contact with and forces her to deal with old family issues connected to Spock. And this came about as a result of a direct request from series co-creator Brian Fuller, who asked me to write a crossover story for Shenzhou and Enterprise under Pike, and once he made the request, I understood immediately what he was really saying was, I want a Burnham and Spock story. So that was what I delivered. And I coordinated that with my friend Kirsten Beyer, who is a fellow Star Trek novelist and New York Times bestselling author. She, during the first season of Star Trek Discovery, was the staff writer and also its media tie-in coordinator. In season two, she, she has been promoted to story editor. And uh, my story had to be approved not only by my editors and by Kirsten, but also by the showrunners at Star Trek Discovery. So my outline and my manuscript had to be approved by uh, Gretchen Berg and Aaron Harberts. Awesome. So if people want to get a hold of this book or your other works, is there a place we can send them? Sure. You can find out all of my uh, current works in my bibliography by going to my website, davidmack.pro. That's David Mack, M-A-C-K. .pro, and you'll see my most recent titles are right there on the front page. Follow the links under his works and go to books or whatever, 
and you can see my books, my comic books. Uh, you can see a complete list of all of my work to date. Anything you'd want to know, bio, press kit, it's all on the website. Lots of stuff. Poke around, have a good time. And most of all, stop by the store, my online store, list what books I have available uh, for autographing and personalization. You can place orders online through my website. They make lovely gifts for the Star Trek or fantasy fan in your life. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with us, David. It was my pleasure. Thanks for stopping by. Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. It's time for dessert, Miles. All right. So we're doing the Sci-Fi 5 and 5. And what's on the docket for Sci-Fi 5 and 5 tonight, Miles? The top five best space battles in sci-fi movies. Now, mind you, Miles is washing his hands of it. He did not come up with his list. This is my list. So if he disagrees with it, he'll have to come up with a better list the next time. No, I I, I think I, there's a lot of... Um, I, think we, I think we would... Agree with a lot of what's on there. Okay, good. So we're going to start. And why don't we do every other one? Mm -hmm. I'll start. And then you'll take the next one. So this one had to make the list. Because it's one of the classic battles um, in in sci-fi. And we're talking about sci-fi movies. We know there are other battles in TV shows that we could do. And maybe that's our next list. But the battle in the what the Matara Nebula, uh, Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan. Yeah. That whole hide-and-seek and, and cat-and-mouse game that was going on there. Yeah, it almost played like a classic, maybe from a submarine movie. Um, you, you had two, two, two ships, both badly damaged. Uh, the Great Equalizer is going into this nebula where sensors didn't work great and shields didn't work, and so it kind of evened everything out. So it really was a battle of wits, a battle of experience, you know, experience versus uh, this the super intelligence, and um, you know, I, I can still watch it now. It's, it's, it's enjoyable. Oh, very good, very good. But it's definitely a slower battle. It's but, a, it's a slower battle, it's, but it's uh, still an epic battle. It's it is epic. I mean, it, it's you know, it's you know, Kirk and Spock are talking strategy. Yeah, it's uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, very good. So, Miles, what comes in in our number four? Number four, we we are going to a different um, franchise, um, a battle over Mr. Universe's planet in the movie Serenity. Absolutely. And what a fantastic battle. I'm thinking, too, like the not only Mr. Universe, but the uh, the battle there with the Reavers. And maybe that's the one they're talking about. Absolutely incredible. Well, yeah, that's where uh, our, our heroes on the Serenity bring the Reavers to the planet and oh, yeah. have all these Alliance uh, battleships. And, uh, you know, River Tam with that classic pose in front of the Reavers and blocking, you know, she's about ready to kick ass and takes names, right? It's just mm -hmm. incredible. Oh, yeah, that's an iconic scene. But just the, even the opening, I mean, you, you see the um, the operative, he's on the ship, he sees the Serenity come out and, he, you know, everybody thinks they're, they're slim pickings. And then... All these reaver ships are following him. I mean, not, and it's just then that the op, we see the opera of panic a little and goes. I, I forget what the exact lines are because it's been a while since I've seen the movie. But just fire everything, fire, fire something. Yeah. You know, he's just like you know, and then he run he runs the closest escape pod. He's not even you know, but yeah, that that's a great battle scene. Um, yeah, fantastic battle, fantastic space battle, both in space and then down the planet yeah. uh, as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, number three, the next three are actually Star Wars ones, and Star Wars does a fantastic job of creating some epic space battles. Uh, so that's why we have these, and maybe they shouldn't be the top, but we put them in our top. And our number three is the Battle of Coruscant, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. The movie starts out with this epic space battle where Anakin and, um, and Obi-Wan are fighting the um, the Separatist army and are trying to rescue, you know, the Chancellor who's been captured by Count Dooku. Yeah, they, and they, 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 that's how the movie opens. I mean, they they they, they we, we've dogged on the um, the prequels, but you got to say Revenge of the Sith. I mean, they they hit the ground running. I mean, this epic space battle, fighters, battle, you know, battleships, it is powerful. Yeah, it is powerful, and you know, and there's tension, and there's you know, there's buzz droids eating away at the ships, and they're they're flying, they're trying to bring the shield down as they land on the carrier. It's just fantastic, fantastic uh, opening to a Star mm -hmm. Wars movie. 
Uh, number two, Miles. Number two, uh, Battle of Scarif, uh, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. This might be my favorite Star Wars movie. And so the battle, that, that, that is another epic battle scene. They're trying to be- bring down the shield generator so they can go in and they're blocked mm-hmm. and. Uh, they, 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 they use a very creative solution. They manage to knock out the power on one of the Star Destroyers and they use. One of the hammerhead ships to like push down, right? They, they push it into another Star Destroyer, if I remember correctly. Yeah, you're right. And then it, it goes into, you have this ring, which is the shield generator slash base, whatever. It crashes into it and massive explosions. It takes out the shield. Yeah, I wasn't expecting to see that. That was just... Uh, yeah, it was a pretty incredible battle, both on the ground, mm-hmm. but up in space. I mean, we're talking space battles. The space portion of that was pretty awesome. Yeah, and I saw it in, in, uh, in 3D IMAX, and it was a uh, beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> um, and number one, we go back to classic Star Wars. For this one, this is uh, the Battle of Endor, Star Wars Return of the Jedi. One of the classic scenes with, uh, you know, uh, Mothma and Admiral Akbar up there on Lando leading the charge into the Death Star to bring down, bring down the forces. This is, this is a very enjoyable battle scene. This is before CGI. I mean, this was back in the early eighties. Oh yeah. It, uh, you know, some people may say it, it may not hold up. I, 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 I think it does. I can still watch it again. Uh, it's, it's epic. It's strategic. It's um, you know just watching the rebels try to okay survive an impossible situation <laughs> yeah. while they're waiting for the shield. I mean, it's always about the shield. It is about the shield. It is always about the shield. You know, yeah, the shield has to come down somehow. And yeah. uh, in all three of these, shield to get on the ship, the shield to get to the planet, and the shield to get through the Death Star. Right. In like all I can remember is like. Palpatine saying there, oh, I'm afraid your shield is still quite operational, mm-hmm. you know, telling Luke, because Luke's on the Death Star, yeah. you know, trying to bring dear old dad back into the fold. Right. Um, that that had some, I mean, they, 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 they had, that had some epic scenes. I mean, you had, um, I think you had an X-Wing crash into the bridge of the Super Star Destroyer. Oh, yeah. Which... Basically brings it down. It it is like a knife going to, into the ground, but it's like a this this giant knife going into the um, Death Star. And um, you it's know, quite cool, quite it, cool. Yeah. Well, that's it. And there are probably other battle scenes that could be brought in here. So if you have a battle scene that you love, we would love to hear from you. Again, sci-fi diner podcast at gmail dot com, and you can uh, put it on Facebook. We'll get we'll get it there as well, probably just as quickly. Yeah. Well, uh, next time we record, we're going to have M with us. We are going to be chatting with some people who do a little bit of horror, something we don't often talk about on the Sci-Fi Diner. Probably a Walking Dead is probably as close to horror as we get sometimes. Yeah, pretty much. We are real horror people, but uh, horror is an element of sci-fi. So we're going to be interviewing these fine folks who put out a book on the indie. Indie films and uh, and horror. Hmm. So next time, but this has been a great show. It's fun talking about Farpoint. Yeah, and uh, Star Trek and everything else. Mm-hmm. I believe that's about it. Miles, why don't you go ahead and uh, take us out of the show? Okay, till next time, good night and good luck. We'll see ya. If you've enjoyed the conversation, the owners of this establishment would love to hear from you. Send your comments and feedback to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast at gmail.com or join our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sci-fi diner.